Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pastor Mike Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, Dynamic powered by the Witness, a, a Black church. Christian Collective. I am Pastor your host, Mike. Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Please do not forget about the gram. Follow at your own risk. That is at Burns Clan. Follow at your own risk. And joining me as always is the founder of The Witness, the man, the myth, the legend, the two-time best-selling author, Mr. Blue Check Verified himself, Jamar Tisby. What's going on, brother? Everything is going on. Tell the world look, to man, slow down. Look, man, I almost look. I almost read your whole title for the anti-racism <laughs> research, and I was like, I can't actually do that. No, nah, we, so. we, we, we don't have that long on the pod. <laughs> yeah, we don't have that long on the pod. But, bro, it's good to be back on the mic with you, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And we're tackling another important topic, man. I feel like every time we get on the mic, we got something important to say. Absolutely. But before we get to that, speaking of important things, if you have not written a review for this podcast, first of all, mm. if you don't subscribe to this mm. podcast, what's going on with you? What's up? What's what going you, on with you? What's, the, what's going on with your life, y'all? I don't understand. Even if it's your first minute, just just subscribe. Just subscribe off the intro. It's very simple. Just click that one button and subscribe off the intro. And then you need to write us a review. I want to thank everybody for, I think we have right now 1,300 reviews or something like that. Thank y'all. You're amazing. But we need more. We want to get to 1,500. And you know Give what you can do? Reviews. You know what you can do in your review? You know, Tyler always says he's got this intro for me. The man, all that. Yeah, yeah. What's my intro for him? <laughs> Put that in your review. Give Jamar a suggestion mm. for the intro for Tyler. I would be so appreciative. Then I have something to come back with. Man, see, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. Y'all don't don't participate in this foolishness. They're going to do don't it. They're going to do it. I, I have faith. Okay, I believe. So after that, though, but after that, we need you to go to patreon.com forward slash pass the mic. Please, And become a Patreon subscriber. We got the video of the Dr. Anthea Butler Ooh. episode coming your way. We also got a Terrence Lester interview coming your way. We got some other special little things that we're going to be doing. So, yes, please, please, please do that. We're trying to level up. So, please go to patreon.com forward slash pass the mic. Just a dollar an episode. You get the you get all these perks. You get all these videos. Okay. So, Jamar, we've been talking about Leave Loud. And one of the questions, and I shouldn't even say one of because we know it's the number one. The number one question that we get Every single time someone talks to us about Leave Loud is what's next. Mm. And when we were mapping out this whole movement and this journey based upon our journeys, because that's really so much of what it is, we were talking about this in the context of what happens after we leave. Some of us left quietly, others of us left loud, but after we leave, what happens? Because we don't step into a place that is automatically equitable and just and for <laughs> flourishing but there's this interim period, and this interim period is what we like to call the wilderness. And we're obviously not the first to coin that term. It's all throughout the scriptures, all throughout the biblical narrative of people, great women and men that God has used going through their wilderness period, their wilderness season. Mm -hmm. And Jamar, for me, I think it was the first time that I really that I realized I was in the wilderness. It wasn't necessarily in the wilderness situationally because I was leading in a black church and I was a part of a faith family and I had people that had my back, but it was in my relationships publicly. And when I started talking about Mike Brown in 2014 on my hmm. Facebook wall, 
I remember all the backlash that I got, all the private conversations that I had. And there was this exhilaration, not because of the conversations, but because what I felt like God was doing in me was clarifying my calling and my purpose. And I felt liberated, but I was liberated and also lonely. And I felt also at the same time, this overwhelming sense of loneliness because I realized that the next season of my life would be marked by pain, betrayal, uh, slander, <laughs> libel, all the above. I realized that. Mm. That was just in my little local community. And so I was liberated, but I was also lonely. Yeah. And I, I'm sensing that a lot of people feel that there's this overarching freedom that's also met with this underlying fear. And they take that deep breath and say, oh, no. You know, first is, yes, I've taken the step. And then secondly, it's, oh, no, I've taken the step. And I can't go back because I left loud. I can't go back because I shared that that Facebook post. I can't go back because we had that meeting. We sent that letter. And now what? Did right. you feel that when you left, Jamar? I did feel that way. It was sort of like it was sort of like getting all amped up, like like getting your courage up and, and getting the excitement together to go on this big road trip. You got the car all packed. You in there. You start driving. You're like. I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> it's like I done got out, you know, yep. but yep. but now where am I headed? And 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 to bring it more concrete, um I left the the PCA, the Presbyterian Church in America, and hmm. it was I left my ordination process. I didn't know if I was ever going to end up ordained or a pastor, which had been my sort of trajectory for for years, right? So now it's like a it's like a professional wilderness where where yes. where do I land <laughs> um but it's also a denominational wilderness who are my people it's also a theological wilderness what do i believe and how do i describe it because i think a lot of people who are on this journey talk about sort of um decolonizing their faith uh which entails a certain level of deconstruction which i want to be clear here this is not us saying you deconstruct all the way to unbelief. <laughs> you you deconstruct down to the solid, stable foundation of the gospel uh, that is not as beholden to all of these sort of cultural props that were portrayed as as theological um, non negotiables. Right. So all of that is happening. I felt a profound sense of betrayal. Man, look, I had invested in these folks. Yeah, you have. Yes, I had you invested have. in these organizations, the systems of belief, all of that. Like, like, like we got skin in the game. All of us do in 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 one way or the other. So that sense of betrayal was very real. And then it was, I think part of the the worst part was, and still to a degree, is not knowing how long it's gonna last. Like you can put up with a lot if you know, okay, six months yeah. <laughs> or, you know, three minutes or whatever it might be. Right. But when there's no clear end in sight, like, like you just don't know how long you'll be searching for a church or a small group or uh, to get your, your footing yes. back um, in terms of what you believe and how you approach the Bible. Like that part is that's what makes it feel like a lonely wilderness. Hmm. 
You know, it's really whenever people talk about the wilderness with me or a season of trial and pain, it's really the number one thing that I I think enjoy is the wrong word, but the number one thing that I think I'm supposed to do as a pastor, not mm-hmm. because I desire to see people in pain, quite the opposite, but if if pain is your season, then I desire for you to know that someone else is going to sit there with you. Yeah. And I think that's my job as a pastor. And sitting with people in this intense, immersive, often soul-shaking pain of being lonely and isolated um, has been one of the great joys, actually, weirdly, um, because I feel as though they teach me more than I ever could teach them. Of course, yeah. And one of the consistent themes has been loss. And I think it's important for us to name these themes because- you can expect this if you're planning to leave loud or if you have left loudly. You can expect to feel this intense, overwhelming loss. And I think it's also twofold. And Jamar, you touched on it because there's loss of opportunity, but then there's also this loss of time and investment that makes you feel robbed. Mm. Like I spent so much time here, now I feel robbed because I'll never get that time back. Mm. And so the loss that I feel is not just about the opportunities that I could have had in the future, but about the time that I invested in the past. And so I feel like I can't get this back. And I feel like in the midst of it, there's a gap that will always be the dark season. Mm. And so what most of us tend to do in those spaces, whenever we feel that loss is we ignore it, or we act as though that period of our lives didn't exist. Wow. We skip over it when we retell our story. And I think what has been so subversive about Leave Loud is we're trying to actually excavate that lost season, those mm, dark moments, yeah. and actually shine light upon them so that the past isn't as purposeless as we think it is. That's a whole word. As a historian, I'm like, <laughs> the parts right. that are hardest for us to recall are often the most instructive. Hmm. Um, and we actually... As we turn away from those parts and 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 try to sort of hmm. skip over them or 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 only remember them in a superficial m- manner, it actually delays our progress. You know, it's like we can't skip the wilderness. <laughs> it yeah, actually serves a purpose. That, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think another theme that I really see is people automatically talk about seasons of wilderness or seasons of wandering as punishment. Mm. We naturally use punitive language. And we use punitive language oftentimes out of shame, right? You said a word about shame as well on your Leave Loud story. We, we do that a lot out of, out of shame, but I think we also do that because our theology is so violent and wow. retributive that we feel like not only we feel like not only is god punishing us but we also feel like we should punish ourselves Whew. and and i don't i don't yeah this is a lot okay sorry <laughs> <laughs> i don't i don't know i don't know where we thought that we needed to punish ourselves for for doing the best that we could in the season that we were in. Hmm. And it's so hard 
to make peace with yourself in the wilderness, if you don't make peace for the fact that in your past seasons, you did the best that you probably could. You did all that you could. You knew what you knew. You came to a realization and you came to the journey and in the place you are right now in divine providential timing, it wasn't an accident. It's just what you had to walk through to get to where you are now. And we can't grow until we stop punishing ourselves for the things we didn't do in the past. We're bringing up stuff that God wants us to move past and grow out of. And all we're doing is beating ourselves down and saying, yeah, I was this and I was that and I can't believe this and I'm so embarrassed and I'm embarrassed to tell people about this and that. And I'm like, well, how do you expect to grow mature if you only speak of yourself in punishment terms? But didn't God, doesn't God redeem the things that even the enemy means for evil? You meant it for evil, Joseph said, but God meant it for good. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe you shouldn't punish yourself because you're in a... I really meant it when I said in the Leave Loud episode that the wilderness isn't always a place of consequence. It can be a place of clarity. If Jesus went into the wilderness, Jesus wasn't being punished. He was being clarified. Uh-huh. <laughs> why, why, why? Why do we... Why do we think of ourselves that way? So that's just something I see, yeah. honestly, all the time is people, the, even if they're strong in their leave, they'll revert back to punishment language. Mm. Watch what you say in this season. Watch how you talk about yourself. God don't think that of you. And a lot of other people don't think that of you either. So why are you talking about yourself like that? I think the angels still rejoiced when the thief on the cross said to Jesus, you know, my, my, my. remember me when you enter mm. into your kingdom. Mm. And he's literally still rejoice. at the at at the gates of death, at the end of his earthly life. And he repented and he turned to Jesus and uh the angels were still singing in heaven. As as they as they say, it ain't it ain't where you start, it's where you finish, right? Um, so, mm, so like, come on. you like what you were saying, you know, you knew what you knew. I knew what I knew back then, <laughs> you know, I, I really, I really saw promise and possibility in this whole racial reconciliation thing. And to a degree, if it's done the way Jesus is talking about with truth and justice, I still see light and possibility in, in those things. Mm-hmm. But what I didn't know is what I didn't know. And and I'm not saying that we don't repent because I think there is another part of our theology that says we avoid those things. But I think once we have repented and been honest and aired that out with the people who we harmed and hurt, we need to move on. Hmm. Grow from it. And and I'm 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 seeing a lot of post repentance punishment language. Hmm. Where where now you're talking down about who you who you were and all this. I'm like, well, well, I mean. There's kicks and giggles that we can have with that. But at a certain point, we have to honestly say, I knew what I knew at that point, and I harmed some people, and I repent of that, and I want to make it right with those people. But but after that, I got to move on because <laughs> future me is waiting for me to catch up. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I, th- I think speaking more about the character of the wilderness itself, right? Um it's a yeah. place it's a place of the wilderness brings wisdom the wilderness brings wisdom i think i think mm. as we look at 
biblical figures like Moses spent decades, you know, yes. in the wilderness. It was building up in him a the wisdom that he needed to lead uh, uh, his people out of out of bondage in in Egypt. Right um, as we look at as we look at even Jesus was forty days and forty nights in the wilderness. Right. And it's building up this this resilience and this uh, sort of spiritual wisdom that he needs for the next phase. And I just I just like the wilderness is not a place of punishment; it's a place of possibility and promise. Like it is our it's our That's future good, self beckoning us, but we can't jump right there, right? Like I feel like part of our angst is impatience that whether we view the wilderness as a place of punishment we view it as sort of a a a a a place that that is stalling us is keeping us from getting where we're going my mama but you can't go my around mama. it you have to go through it and it's only by going through it that you can actually get to where you want to go right so Bro. so <laughs> Let's talk about what let's talk about the danger of skipping the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the danger of skipping the wilderness because again, this is the and and I said it before and I'm gonna say it again, and this is the danger of building a platform too quickly. Huh. This is the danger of us becoming experts it. too fast. It's the danger of us getting in front of people's faces, talking authoritatively about stuff we haven't lived yet. That's the danger is because I think for so many of us, we desire because the world moves quicker than our journey. Whew. And we haven't made peace with the fact that that, you know, slow and low is the way, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, it's it, hey, bring look, up the, if you bring out the uh, grilling analogies. Here. Look, if you grill, you know, slow and low. That's the way that indirect heat. That's the <laughs> I'm just saying that's the way. You, you know, you, you got to give time for the flavor to get in there. You tender when it's slow and low. You may look good when you when you pull it out quickly. You may look good after after you grill it for a short period of time. But slow and low is the way it's not cooked all the way through. It's crockpot theology. My, my, my. Yep. It's, <laughs> it's, we got I, microwave. To, we got micro Western <laughs> Western theology. Western evangelicalism is microwave theology. Black so, church, black theology is crockpot. Sit down, it's, Doc. It's 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 smoker theology. <laughs> <laughs> Look, and, and and I think with that though, I think skipping the wilderness, you underestimate how deep that season was in you. You underestimate how deeply ingrained what you've learned and what you heard and what was taught to you. And what was imparted and imposed upon you, how deep that is in your muscle memory. My goodness, yes. You have to unlearn it. Yes. And, and, and you know, I, everything is basketball for me. So whenever I see, <laughs> <laughs> whenever I see people that are like, man, I don't understand how Giannis or Shaquille O'Neal, they're, they're getting paid millions of dollars and they can't make a free throw. I don't understand that. I don't understand that. Some of it's mental, but I'm saying these. Two dudes in particular were MVPs, all NBA, brilliant, making millions of dollars. They worked on that shot for decades to get to where they are. Hmm. 
And so now the shot is the shot. <laughs> and you think, oh, get, lock him in a room and tell him to shoot a thousand. Number one, you're not replicating the pain that they've been in while they're while they're running down the court and their lungs are on fire. Then they got to slow down and take, you know, in Giannis's case, 12 seconds and shoot that free throw. Like you, you're underestimating that. So you're not replicating the situation and the noise and the and the scenario. But also it's so ingrained in them that muscle memory is hard to beat. You got to learn a new way. And how do you learn a new way in a new opportunity? Hmm. So you put on your resume that you're free, but you still got bound language. Uh. And you step, into, you step into the new job, you step into the new opportunity, and what you put on the resume ain't coming into fruition. It's not happening because you didn't unlearn and relearn the new way of being, the new way of existing, the new way of talking about yourself and about God and about people, this you didn't so learn deep. it. This is and so that's deep. the problem with so many people is, and, and then, then you don't know what, to, what you really believe because you just know you don't believe what they said, but you don't know what you believe. You got to relearn, you got to unlearn a new way. You are underestimating your muscle memory. This episode is brought to you in part by Baker Publishing Group. Most of us don't want to spend our lives being time wasters, space takers, binge watchers, or game players. We want to be difference makers. But maybe we make changing the world a little more complex than it really is. Making a difference isn't measured by a viral post or a name on a building. It isn't determined by a following or a fan base. Want to make a difference? Focus on just one person at a time. That's the secret of the way of Jesus. In his newest book, One at a Time, Kyle Eidelman invites us to better understand the surprising habits of Jesus and the power of small things done with great love. He challenges true disciples to fully commit to the unexpected Jesus way of changing the world by loving people one at a time. Baker Bookhouse is pleased to partner with Christianity Today to offer a special discount on your copy of One at a Time. Visit bakerbookhouse.com by February 28th, 2022 and use promo code 1-2022. That's O-N-E-2022 to receive 40% off with free shipping. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta unpack this biblically too. What you're saying is all biblical, but if you if we go back to the story, um, the people of Israel weren't ready for the promised land because they weren't yet the people of Israel yet. Hmm. They had to learn. Had they gone straight from Egypt to the promised land, they would have replicated the ways of Egypt in the promised land. Hmm. They weren't ready. What they had to do was to learn t- that the promised land isn't just a place, it's a people. They had to spend Look, that time man. in the wilderness Look, learning how to be Look, a people before God took them to a place to settle as God's people. And we have to relearn right now what it means to be God's people. 
What does it mean to be the new Israel in the 21st century post-Trump era, uh, uh, critical race theory, hysteria, all of this stuff where we're having this exodus out of culture wars, Christianity and toxic masculinity and patriarchy and all of this stuff that goes along with it. We're not ready for the place the address on the street necessarily, right? But part of it is learning to be the people, learning to be the people God has called us to be and learning to be a new community as we do that. So we need yeah, we got to relearn how to relate to one another. That's it. That's it. That's, that's, it. that's something that people don't, under, that's, that's something we, under, we underestimate as well. We think of it in terms of white centeredness and how do we deal with white supremacy and with white people and with white authority, white normativity, but how do we relate to our own people? And so here's another thing you get. You get a you get black people who've been in white settings, they step out of white settings into black settings and don't know how to be. <laughs> Why are you and they get elevated me? quickly. <laughs> well I'm just saying they get elevated quickly because they're black. But they they're not the rule ain't the same. The sauce hits different because the sauce they got isn't just because of their skin color. It's because they walk through something with their community. Yeah. And so that's why we act the way we act. And you can't just hop out of one space into another and assume that you're just going to be able to translate everything into that. And so for black Christians, we have to learn how to relate to one another again. We have to learn who we are again. And what I love is that black spaces by and large, and there are obviously some exceptions, but black spaces are so loving and careful with people who are leaving those spaces, hmm. who are leaving loud. And we're not without flaw, and we got issues and problems, and we need to be called out and dealt with and called up. But there's such a beauty in people who accept you, the Jethro Ooh. people. <laughs> you know something? <laughs> who, wasn't, who, wasn't even, who wasn't even really... A believer like that, but the Jethro people who come in and say, and say, "Come here, son. Come here. Here, I'll give you. I'll put you to work. I'll tell you what to do. Like here you go. Do this. Here's your job. Just be a part of the community." And and Moses unknown, <laughs> right? Like it's just yeah. I think I think what's going to be interesting is when we look at like these multi-ethnic, multi-racial church settings or when black folks end up in white spaces. We haven't talked about this a lot, but some of them are refugees from the black church. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. I can remember a good number, especially a little bit older guys, you know, maybe maybe boomer generation, but it could be anybody. But they 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 had been burned by their black churches. A lot of times it had to do either with financial mismanagement or some sort of sexual immorality, right? And then wasn't dealt with property, properly. And so they came over to these predominantly white churches, and this may have been at a subconscious level, but I think they looked at these white churches and it's real polished. You know, they've got the slick programs, the slick production, they've got, you know, a, a sort of almost a corporate leadership structure where everybody knows the division of responsibility, who's in charge of what, this, that, the other. And it looked from the outside looking in 
like they had their stuff together and you were going to avoid the kind of messiness that 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 you had come out of but then they found <laughs> organizationally yeah this this thing may have run a certain way usually because there's more resources right but they didn't affirm your intrinsic dignity they didn't hear your heart they didn't know your reality and so i think now there's a lot of f- black folks who may have left the black church with legitimate reason but they're figuring out oh every church has brokenness but the kind of brokenness i'm experiencing in these predominantly white spaces is of a deeper existential kind where they don't they don't even see my full humanity and then realizing yeah every church got problems including black churches but you know one thing i didn't have to worry about was them disregarding me or disrespecting me or dehumanizing me because of my race. That's so good. I think we need to talk about in that regard, If even if you are leaving a black church or, or what have you, we need to talk about the spirit of settle, the settling spirit, hmm. which says, I'm going to just settle for whatever in that. I'm going to just settle for whatever wasn't in my previous season. And I'm going to tell you, that's settling. Well, it's not that bad. That's actually what keeps black people in those spaces, number one, because wow. you talk yourself out of situations and out of things. You look around things that you should be staring straight at and calling it what it is, calling spade a spade. But the settled spirit will also have you in the wilderness thinking that, oh, if I just join this group, it's going to be so much better just because of what it looks like on the outside. It's not that. You need to find healing for yourself. I love what Dr. Cheryl Sanders, she said this. She's a professor at Howard. And I believe she was writing about Pentecostals and in particular, holiness Pentecostals, if I'm not mistaken, um, which is a whole nother thing and a lot of trauma there. But she said something one time and it perked my interest. One of my favorite quotes, she said, fulfillment in the wilderness is a witness. Huh. Run that back. She said, fulfillment in the wilderness is a witness. Wow. And I don't know if it's because I was part of the witness and I was like, yeah, I like that. (laughs) I'm going to use it. But Cheryl Sanders said, fulfillment in the wilderness is a witness. When you get fulfilled for yourself, that you are actually a witness to other people and other travelers along the way, that healing and wholeness and health is possible. And until you get fulfilled, you can't be the right type of witness that you need to be in the future because in the present, in the wilderness, you're not actually fulfilled in and of yourself and with where God has you right now. And so, again, I think it's it's easy for us to settle with, quote unquote, what is acceptable. And I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about, you know, what's unhealthy. You 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 can detect it. You can feel it. You can sense it. You can hear it in the theology. You can hear it in how they talk about social issues. You already know. So don't settle for something. Be fulfilled in the wilderness. And that'll be your witness. That'll be what you need to do. But so many Black Christians are in settled situations. Wow. And they just settle it. People in the SBC right now, settle it. I'm not saying you got to <laughs> go. I, look, I'm just, let's, just, let's just be real. I'm not saying, you, you see what's going on in the headlines. That's what you want? I mean, okay. I'm just telling you, you don't have to settle for that. Mm. You don't have to. I'm not mm. saying you're going to find a perfect environment. I'm not saying everybody's going to be right with you. I'm not saying all black settings are, are immediately where you should go. 
We're going to talk about some creative options. But I'm just saying, why settle? Get out. <laughs> Leave. You see it? I, I, and, and black folks settling. So if you feel called there, if God is you on a special mission there, if there's something that you can only get there, okay. You might have a situation we don't have. That's understandable. But don't settle just because this is good enough. Good enough ain't flourishing. Yeah, I think it's important to say, and I've heard this before, I didn't make it up, but there are no perfect churches, but there are healthy churches, right? It's just, like, it's just like our physical Absolutely. bodies. There's no perfect physical body in terms of health or whatever. Or, I mean, in terms of, you know, looks or how everything's functioning, mm-hmm. but you can be healthy. Yeah. yeah. That's what yeah. we're looking for. Is a pl- And a healthy place is where you can grow. And I'm not talking about numerical size. I'm talking about a healthy place is where you can grow. Let's talk about that because I think people, when they're leaving the witness or they're trying to, or the wilderness, excuse me, people are leaving the wilderness. Don't leave the witness. The Don't need a witness. <laughs> Hang with us. <laughs> people who are leaving the, the wilderness, they end up thinking that church has to look the same way there it, it is. did. There it is. In previous seasons, right? Talk about that creativity that's necessary to reimagine what it looks like for us to not just have church, but be the church in a new world. The you know, the life of the church, it 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 works in seasons, right? God uses all this organic imagery to describe the church, a mustard seed, a vine, right? And and when you're thinking organically, um things grow. And they move in different directions and they experience different parts of the life cycle. I think we're just, I think we're in a season where we have to reimagine the church. And 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 some folks are gonna hear that and and pull their hair out because he's because <laughs> they're thinking I'm saying something I'm not. I I think what we have to do. Jamar about to start the new emerging church. Jamar about to- <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh my gosh, the Bible is sufficient. Jesus laid down the pattern for the we don't need to know. What I'm talking about is rethinking how we do church. Look, right? man. Um, because I think part of the tension that we're feeling is that we are familiar with a paradigm and we think that we have to maintain that same paradigm for what it means to do church in the next season. But what God might be calling us to as a people, as a church, the body, is to new ways of relating to one another, which didn't the pandemic test that, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Didn't we figure out that as sweet as it is to meet in person every Sabbath, that's not the only way we build fellowship or community. And might, as we talked about before, part of the wilderness is learning how to relate to one another in a new way. Might part of being in the wilderness be learning how to understand church in a new way? Church doesn't have to be big. No, yeah. And on. a lot of the abuse that we're seeing happens in multi, multi-ethnic megachurches. Mm. It doesn't have to be big. And mm. I understand there's some there's some practical applications and implications. I totally get that. But it doesn't have to be. People asking, man, how how because I came from that environment. I came from the environment 
of having 5,000 people every weekend. We had that when I was growing up. I'm not leading anything near that now. And I'm thankful to God. It would destroy me and the church. How many people you want to? Uh-uh. uh Healthy. Healthy. <laughs> and until it's healthy, I don't want to grow big. And even then, I don't want to grow big. So I think fame is poison. Power is poison a lot of times, you know, in these settings. It's so very I, dangerous. I, and and that's that's the thing that I think number one we need to hear. Maybe it's a house church situation. You know, maybe it's it's something where you're at a much smaller church where you're seen and known. You know, maybe it's reimagining black church communities. Like the mm-hmm. black church often does this this game where we feel like we have to keep up with other people in the area or in the city or who we see you know on that's social right. media, and the pandemic has made it so much harder. But but maybe we need to retreat to a healthy community that isn't online. Wow. You don't have to put your sermons online. It's okay. Wow. Like it's it's fine. You you don't have to. Like you you're not deficient because you didn't do that. If if your people are there, put it there. If they're not there and you don't want to engage in the back and forth, right. you don't have to. That's right. If your church doesn't do that, they're not less of a church. I mean, we have to say these things because it's obvious, but it's also not. Go to a healthy environment where you can grow, be seen, be known, and a church that cares about your soul and your body. I I, I really feel like a big part of, of relearning how to do church is reminding ourselves what's essential to being the church. And and we're discovering, much to our uh, anxiousness, that it's not everything we thought. It's not a building. It's not even, you know, a kick and band, you know, with an amazing singer and live instruments. It's not um, packaged programs. Uh, or Bible studies that we do, right? Um, and I think those muscles of ha- deep community that is not propped up by sort of artificial supports, those muscles have atrophied, and we have mm-hmm. to relearn how to walk as the people of God, where all we've got really is Jesus and each other. Um, and that's been tough. That's been tough for me. I know, um, walking through it. Yeah. And, and, you know, what I think is so helpful, man, is whenever we think about the wilderness, we're always pressured by our own journey. Hmm. And we have to realize that this is not a new journey. We've just joined the journey. So we've joined the journey of those who have come before us. And we're walking in our own path, but we're on this journey together. Mm-hmm. And I think, number one, there's a power in connectivity and community, even if it doesn't look like what it has before. There's so many people who are immunocompromised that could not have the same level of community in person mm-hmm. over the past year and a half that they did before. And so they had to get creative with community. And so often the most marginalized among us have have had to be more creative with their communities. And so don't be afraid to get creative with your online community. But I also want to say, secondly, there are people, there is a people who have gone before us. And they haven't had always the resources to make the path paved. Mm. 
They haven't had necessarily the resources to build a highway yet. But they charted out a course. They left some markings along the way. They dropped some breadcrumbs. And, and I think that there are some people in our history, some people in our past, who can show us what it means to be fulfilled in the wilderness and create a new way. And we have to, we have to call upon those who have come before. And we have to study what they have done and how the Spirit of God used them. And we have to say, I may not know, but they may. Hmm. And we have to take the position and posture of humility and being learners and being people who are excavating the precious gold and the, the jewels of the past, the gems that have been left for us in the writings of authors that aren't in your Christian bookstore. We have to do that. And that's hard work, but that's where it's at. That's where the money's at. That's where our maturity is going to be, is when we realize that it's not just the people in the Bible who seem so far away from us, but it's our people too. They've gone before. And I want to walk in their steps. And that desire and that yearning and that pursuit, that's where growth happens. That's where maturity will be. And so I just want to encourage people that you're not alone in this journey. You're not by yourself right now, but not only right now, but but you're not by yourself historically either. Hmm. We've walked through this. We've come this far by faith, leaning on the Lord. <laughs> That's a we statement. That's a collective community. You, you're not the first. You won't be the last. Walk your path well. And if you're going through the wilderness, be encouraged. Fulfillment in the wilderness is a witness. You're not being punished. You're being perfected. <laughs>